Hello and welcome to the On the Corner podcast. I'm your host, Chad Young, joined by Nick Pollock. And you guys usually hear me on the Keeper Cup podcast, but I'm here today to talk about our mock draft. Nick puts together this mock draft every year with a whole bunch of Pitcherlist, uh, I was going to say pitcherlist writers, but some of us aren't writers. Some of us are just podcasters. Some of us are, some are both. So it's pitcherlist personalities, <laughs> pitcherlist, pitcherlist celebrities. We can call Absolutely. ourselves whatever we want to call ourselves. But <laughs> do this draft um, every year. And I know, Nick, you've been talking to everybody who participated going over their draft pick by pick and telling us where we went wrong. I'm, I'm looking well, no, forward no, to some. Well, mostly where you went right. <laughs> but what is happening, everybody? Yes. As Chad did so well. Um, you outline what these podcasts are. We uh, we made it so that there is one that is for the podcast network, and that's the one we're talking about. And then there's another one actually that's going on as well. We'll have an article out when both mock drafts are are completed um, on the website, so everyone can reference it. Um, and uh, but yeah, we're going over uh, this first mock draft, which completed about a week ago now, or something like that, maybe five days ago. I don't remember. It's fine. Long time ago. And uh, it is a 12-teamer Yahoo settings, uh, five by five, three outfielders, two utilities, no middle infield, no corner infield. Um, Otani are two different players. And uh, I think that's about it. So it's all redraft for 2024. And Chad Young is here, of course, as he mentioned. He's a, he's a major proponent of the, uh, or a major factor in the Keeper Cut podcast. 120 episodes. Pretty remarkable, amazing work there, of course, with Chad Young, also a writer over at Fangraphs. As well, doing a lot of auto new coverage. If you need some help with auto new teams, it's Chad Young you should be talking to. And I wanted to ask a few extra questions that I have in previous years to everybody this um, this time around. Where uh, as we're going through all these different teams, I wanted to understand you before you started this draft, and then where you are after, and then we're going to go through these picks individually. So first and foremost, you picked out of the twelfth spot. Is this the spot that you wanted to have entering the draft? And now that you did experience the 12 spot, do you feel like it's a good spot to have in 2024? Yeah, so I I did want the 12 spot, but not for baseball reasons. Uh, I, I had a lot of stuff going on that wasn't related to baseball over the last few weeks. And picking at the turn meant that I could block out the time to make two picks and then not have to think about this for a while while other people made their picks. So it was a a purely logistical thing, but it was also an opportunity. I I haven't picked from the turn very much. And so it was sort of an opportunity to try something different, see how it played out. And, and I think having done it, I mean, I'll say this, if if you could guarantee me I got my first round pick in every draft picking from the 12 spot, I would pick from the 12 spot every time. Sure. I was very happy with who I ended up with and I would I would gladly I would gladly do that. I think if I didn't have the 12th pick, I'd want to be in the top I don't know, 5, 4 or 5, something like that, like that. Maybe the top 4. I think there's really a top 4 that I really like and then there's like a bunch of others that I like. And so Did I was Did I get the right one? Did I get someone that's inside that top 4? <laughs> it's Kyle uh, Tucker. He's outside of it, isn't we, he? Well, you picked fifth. <laughs> and right. So, so it's the top four, top five. You seem like there was someone else that wasn't I inside. Think, the I think the top five, I think what I'm what I'm not sure of is I think Acuna Betts, Carol are my top three. And right. I do think J Rod and Tucker are my four or five, and I'm not sure on the order. That's oh, okay. That's fair. Okay, that 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 makes me feel better because I had the five. So yeah. who cares? Um, this is all about me. This entire podcast is about me, guys. So <laughs> 
Um, so, so I understand. So you want to go into for logistical reasons, which honestly, I totally understood. And in years past, we've done it with the person who is most uh, removed time zone wise. We had someone um, in Israel actually drafting uh, with Ben Pernick. Uh, we said, yeah, you go at the end so that you make two picks in a row so that it's, it's going to have to wait on you. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, so that makes sense. And yeah, I totally get that Shoei Otani was your first pick. And you're saying, look, if I'm able to get that, that's great. Let's just kind of say that you don't. Let's say um, it's, you know, you get in a situation where Matt Olson isn't picked yet and you could get Matt Olson instead. Just kind of thinking about the rest of the draft and how it flowed. Did you find yourself uh, in a good situation, did you feel, or was it more inconvenience? I I liked it. I think like, you know, even if I didn't get, because I didn't expect to get Otani. Um, mm-hmm. But I think looking at the guys who went, sort of the three, four picks before that, like I could be happy with any of those guys um, and, and feel like I was I was in a pretty good spot. And then the rest of the draft, I found that having, and, and maybe this would change as draft season advances and, and ADP starts to settle out and, and picks start to become more predictable. Right now, I felt like picking back to back allowed me at a lot of the turns to make to make two picks that were going sort of different directions at some in some cases yeah. that I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go this way. I don't know that way. I don't know who's likely to be gone by the next time I come back up. And so like right. I can do both of them, feel good about that. Whereas I think later in draft season, you start to have a better sense of like, oh, I can't decide between these two guys, but like this guy is much more likely to last another 10 picks. And so yeah, if I'm sure. picking 10 picks from now, I can wait. Right. But right now, I, I really liked that I don't know. In a weird way, I feel like it gave me flexibility that like I could I could do more at one time and it gave yeah. me a little flexibility to like make the picks I wanted to make along with something that I felt might be a little safer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when you also entered this draft, uh, were, was there a certain strategy that you wanted to try out? There was and I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was that strategy? So saying I... So as I picking at the turn, like I said, was something of a logistical thing. But when I when I decided I was picking twelfth, one thing I have never done ever in my drafts in any baseball draft at any point is taken a pitcher in the first round, let alone gone with a pocket aces strategy. Sure. And I was really interested to try out a pocket aces strategy. So I mm-hmm. was going to go Strider Cole at the turn. I had yeah. already penciled them into my board. That was what I was doing. Right. And then Otani kept falling, and I was like, I mean, Otani was. I want to say something like the number seven fantasy player this year, and he basically missed a month. Right. And that's just Otani the hitter. I think I, yeah. maybe, that does, maybe that goes without saying right now, I did not take Otani the pitcher in the first round yes. of the season. He's not going to pitch. <laughs> um, but he was like the number seven hitter in fantasy baseball this year, and he missed a month. And the fact that he... Now, I know he is starting off injured now. He may miss a little time at the beginning. But if he does, he's basically right where he was last year in terms of the amount of time, which means he's a pretty good bet to be a top 10 bat. And if he's ready for opening day and not pitching, his likelihood of playing 150 to 162 games as a DH is much higher than it's ever been because he's not going to pitch, which is going to greatly reduce the injury risk. There is and if he the, does the that, thought, of course, is, you know, the uh, how much will the injury impact his performance, right? But he's had these kind of injuries before without it really stopping yeah. him. So sure. I, we'll I, I think there's maybe, like extending the arm out and maybe not wanting to do that. 
that's Could the be. only thought I can give. But you, yeah, yeah, just to remind everybody here, 44 home runs, 102 runs, 95 RBI, 20 stolen bases, a 304 average in 135 games. Like that right. wasn't even a full season as Chad is mentioning here. So that was that was basically it. Is I was like, I'm going to do pocket aces because I've never done pocket aces. I'm going to see how that plays out. I'm going to see how different it feels going into a draft, knowing I've got a rotation that's, you know, the headliners are locked up. And then Otani was there. And like I, I mentioned before, I have sort of a top five. I think Otani is my sixth. Right. Like looking at this draft board right now, I would take Otani. The guys who went sort of the top five we mentioned before were Acuna, Betts, Carroll, J-Rod, Tucker. After that were Witt, Freeman, Tatis, Judge, Olsen, Turner. I take Otani over all those guys. I would take mm-hmm. him after that top five. He would be my next pick. And I think I can make a case for him being closer to J-Rod and Tucker than he is to the rest of that group. Wow. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, so so now that you've done this, um, I can't believe you've done this. Um <laughs> is there a strategy that you think actually, I think one of the coolest parts about doing these mock drafts, of course, is understanding the flow of ADP, understanding where the pockets of value are um, at different positions. And is there something you think you look back on this and go, okay, th- this is the kind of strategies I think I'm actually going to implore uh, moving forward. Yeah, I, in, in this, and I, I think part of it is that, you know, the, the standard Yahoo format doesn't have a middle infield spot, mm-hmm. but I took... My third and fifth picks were Bo Bichette and Matt McLean. Lock up my middle infield. Felt good about that. Middle infield's often hard to fill. And then the draft ended and like Willie Adamas was still out there. And there were a couple other yeah. names. I'm trying to remember who else was still out there at the end that uh, Ezekiel Tovar, I don't think got picked. Andreas Jimenez went much later than I Did thought he should. Schneider. What? Schneider didn't get picked. Schneider didn't get picked. So I, I hit a point where I was looking at the board and I was like, I'm really happy with my middle infield. I think I have a very strong middle infield. I'm totally fine with the value on both of those picks. Mm-hmm. But middle infield played out deeper in this draft than I expected. And I think it may just be that I'm so used to middle infield spots being part of my sure. leagues that I, I'm overestimating, underestimating how shallow it is, overestimating. I don't know how you describe that. I expect it to be shallower than it actually is. And right. so I do think in retrospect, I, I I would wait on middle infield in a mm-hmm. in a format like this. Cause I just there's more out there than I think I realized. Oh man. So that that, yeah, that does certainly go across uh, against my uh, philosophy here of in a 12 teamer like this, the massive gap between the the shortstops and second baseman specifically, maybe some in third base, but not as much in third base. Like, for example, I think the sixth round of Bregman, Lewis, uh, and Young is pretty dang good uh, for third base. Yeah. You can argue then Arenado and Diaz, uh, Yandy Diaz there too. But specifically with second base, like it's Semyon, Albies, Altuve, and Betts. And then it's what? Bryson Stott, Kettle Marte? Um you know, if it's a little bit tougher there, and then in shortstop land, you have Turner, Witt Jr., Lindor, Seager, Henderson, Bichette. Uh, you also went with Matt McClain. Matt McClain is second base, I believe. Also, he has both. Yeah. Basement. So you can kind of throw him in there with the Altuve Albies a little bit, but that to me is a large, large drop off and a more significant one than I think in pitching, than I think in outfield, than I think in first base and in third. Uh, that's kind of where my head is at, but I am very curious. I mean, you're Chad Young. You know these things about depth way better than I do, especially without you. 
So I'm kind of curious, um, like who are the players that you're seeing with this depth? They're like, no, wait, these are going to be the ones that we're all going to be talking about as sleepers. Yeah, it's like I'm looking at the like drop down to like the 17th round and beyond. Mm -hmm. And I would feel very good. 17th round, both Andres Jimenez and Nolan Gorman. I would feel fine with either of those guys as my starting. Nolan Gorman, man, that was that I was so annoyed at that pick because I I all of a sudden realized that I wanted Nolan Gorman and then just got picked. I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. But even later than that, like I, you know, Jorge Polanco, you got to worry about how much he stays in the field, but I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think Brandon Lau is going to have a, a bounce back season. When you start looking at shortstops, I, I think we waited a long time on Ronnie Mauricio. I think we waited mm-hmm. a long time on Jordan Waller. Um, sure. Ezekiel Tovar was only okay this year, but he's very, very young and he still plays in cores and there's still benefits right. to be had there. Um, and as I mentioned, like Willie Adamas didn't even get picked. If I could have taken Willie Adamas in one of the last two rounds and, and instead of either McLean or Bichette and taken a, I don't know, an outfielder, I think that would have been a better, I think that would have played out better for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so let's get to it then. Uh, so we talked about Shohei Otani already. I mean, that I think that has has been done. We're good. And you took Spencer Strider with your SP1, and that goes against me, so how dare you? Um, because <laughs> I, I'm going with Cole just because of the floor and the safety of it, and I see the 386 ERA, and I'm going to be the t- one to tell you, look, like there's a reason for that. Uh, when you only throw two pitches, it makes it easier to make some sort of adjustment, a 316 bat yeah. from uh, Strider this year. You feel like should be better than that, um, at the same time, uh, batters had a really good contact, uh, well, ICR rate when they did make contact on that four-seamer, which you might be surprised to know that it was 93rd percentile, not like 100th percentile on the four-seamer swing strike rate at 16%. Like Luis Castillo had a higher swing strike rate on his four-seamer, if you can believe it. Um, and with an ICR rate that's 50th percentile, well, there is reason for some worry. Same with the slider at 43% ICR rate. These are really bad. That's the 16th percentile on all sliders, even though it had a 99th percentile swing strike rate. So how often are guys actually making contact is the deal there. But uh, nevertheless, that is still 45% of the time. They are making contact and it's good for them. And there there are reasons as to why it's a worse ERA, especially if he in any way fatigues in a start or it's not the perfect one. It makes a smaller uh, margin for error with Strider, which then, of course, creates a little bit more volatility. That's my biggest pushback. But then again, 109 whip and 37% K rate and all the strikeouts. Uh, winning ball club, 20 wins this year. I mean, yeah, Strider's going to be great for your teams. Yeah, I mean, if if somebody, if you or anybody else wants to tell me they like Cole better than Strider, I'm not going to tell them that's wrong. Like, I think there are two very clear, like, th- they are the two best pitchers in fantasy. For, for my money, right. they should be the first two pitchers off the board. My guess is they will, you know, who goes first and who goes second will depend league to league. And I could see it either way. Like I said, my original plan was to just take both of them and be done. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, Strider... Strider finished higher on the player Raider this year like than Cole did, despite the ERA. Mm-hmm. And that to me was sort of the, the deciding factor was I see the concerns. I, I understand why we would look at that ERA and be like, yeah, that might be a legit issue. But even with that, he he was that good. And there's obviously like 
there is reason to be uh there's reason to believe there will be some positive regression in that ERA as well. Sure. And so there's there's upside beyond what he did last year. And that to me is that was what sort of separated them for me. No, I get that completely. Um so Either way, I'm not taking any of them. So, <laughs> uh, you know, my strategies and stuff. But yeah. I totally understand that it's about your, you know, working your strengths and all of that. Um, for me, it's just there's so many good hitters and it's just you got to get the good hitters. OK, so third yeah. round, you actually go with uh, one of these hitters who did not have the most, I would say, overwhelming season. We expected more um, from Bo Bichette this year. And what we saw was 20 home runs, just five stolen bases, 135 games. 306 average, which is lovely, but it wasn't really that big five-category season that we were hoping for after going 25 stolen bases in 13 last two years. And what has you going Bo Bichette at the end of the third round? Yeah, I mean, he was so he was a guy who last year in drafts was going top 15 to 20. He was a top, or he what he ended up last year. Sorry, he was going earlier. He was going in the first round. He ended up last year as a top 15 to 20 guy. He was a top five guy in 2021 which is why he was going in the first round last year. And I I just think that his draft cost in this draft, and we'll see where he ends up the rest of the, you know, the draft season, I think it's an overreaction to a, a down year. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I look at what Bichette's done for his career, and he's been pretty consistently a great fantasy shortstop he's only 25 years old i just think i, I don't know i i could be wrong here but i just think that last year was just a down year and he's going to sort of bounce back to being a top 15 to 20 guy and so getting him at the end of the third with 36 pick was a, a good bet on on good value it's a risky pick because if he doesn't bounce back this is this is going to look real bad Right, if he puts up the same season he just did, um, this is a this is a really ugly pick. If he goes back to being the guy he was the two years before that, this is going to be one of the best values in the draft. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And also, when it comes to the hitter pool, um, Adelise Garcia, Neil Cruz, Mike Trout, Christian Walker, Cal Schwarber, Nolan Jones are the ones quickly picked after. And it's like, yeah, you got to go with Bo Bichette at that point. Um, that that one, was the thing is I didn't look at the yeah. other bats that were there. I, so to be clear, Michael Harris went to pick before me. Mm-hmm. I would have taken Michael Harris. Okay. That was the guy I was like watching him fall and thinking, okay, this is my pick. I'm going to take Harris. Uh, and it wasn't going to change right with my fourth round pick. I was going to take, I, I, I took Zach Gallen in the fourth and I was going to do that anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have taken Harris when Harris didn't fall. That's exactly right. I was looking, I was like, I like Adelise Garcia. O'Neill Cruz went right after that. Mike Trout, like, these are all guys with some some question marks. I think the yeah. the one guy, well, maybe two. There, there really there are two picks of hitters after that that I think are less risky than Bichette, but I don't think they have the upside of Bichette. And that's your pick where you took Christian Walker and Adam Howe took Kyle Schwarber. No and those two guys, it's like, yeah, you know what you're going to get from them. They're good picks. I was, I, I'm very happy. Like I'd be very happy with those guys, but I felt like Bichette had upside above and beyond what they yeah. could offer that makes a lot of sense um and something i've been talking about a lot with these and if you guys aren't using them it's the plv hitter attributes app that we have um that really assesses the raw skills of players and the decision value of boba has always been a weird thing to me um in 2022 he had moments of actually being really good at it but still ultimately being about 
25th percentile for the league season average. And this year it was closer to 10% um, for his season average, which is mm-hmm. kind of concerning. High contact rate and about league average power this year. And uh, decision values, I think, are a really important um, thing to note where all stud hitters have high decision values, right? They're swinging at the right pitches, essentially. It's rare to see someone without an above average decision value to excel properly in the majors. Um, so that is going to be an element, I think, that Bo needs to improve upon. He has shown moments of it, of actually being like, look, I can I, I can do this right if I focus or I don't know what it is. It's just certain guys <laughs> that he's able to pick up more on. But uh, that is one of the bigger concerns that do tell me, yeah. hey, maybe there is something about Boba Chat that isn't sustainable here that uh, that does suggest that there is a little bit of a drop-off here in power. It's hard to get power when you're not swinging at pitches that you can drive in the first place. Um, so we'll see that on that one. And it's also, you know, super low walk rates for Boba Does not surprise me, I guess, with those uh, decision values in a little bit. Um Moving forward to Zach Gallen, uh, I have Gallen a little bit lower um, than you do. You have him as your SP4 above Zach Wheeler and Castillo and Burns. Um, those are the three I feel like are the most contentious um, ones to put above Gallen. What drew you to Zach Gallen instead? Yeah, I mean, it, it really was those four guys, um, Burns, Castillo, Wheeler, Gallen, and... I was debating which one to take. I, you know, like I said, I went into this thinking I would do pocket aces. I had a chance to get, I had taken Strider in the second. Cole and Gaussman were the only other two that pitchers gone off the board. So I was like, okay, it's not exactly going one, two with pitchers, but it's pretty close. I'll take advantage of that and still be able to enact what I wanted to enact a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I have a real good answer for why I took Gallon over the others. I think Wheeler. Burns had a had a rough year this year, and I just I, it's not to say that I would push him way down because of that, but it was enough for me to be like I I don't want to take the guy who just came off. I guess here I am. I'm going to take Bo Bichette, and then I'm going to tell you I don't want to take the guy who just came off well, a rough year. What's but funny about <laughs> Burns is that Burns, if you look at the end of result, like it was a whip under 110. It was a three three ERA. It was 200 strikeouts. That's what's so crazy about Burns. I was ready to put him at like 12 yeah, or something, back, huh? and then all of a sudden. I was like, wait, what? This was the actual end result with Burns? And what happened is that he would have like three really good games and one terrible one. And that's why we never really got into a momentum of believing in Burns. It's an interesting right. thing. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I understand the reasons why to go for a gallon, like 210 innings. Uh, he's been incredibly consistent. Uh, he's relatively safe here. I, I think he's a little bit weird in how he gets his um, oats, essentially. Um, and uh, right. not oats, oats, guys. <laughs> and I, uh, I feel as if the other players here, like Zach Wheeler, his four seamer, that thing is just stupid. Um, Luis Castillo's four seamer is stupid now, and so is the slider and the changeup. And those to me feel more. Uh, I can depend on that consistently throughout the year. While Gallon is someone that goes on these stretches, especially concerning he's more closed off in his delivery, and then he has some, some rough ones, um, and it's going to be a little bit more tumultuous in that fashion. Um, while I don't really think of him as a potential 30% strikeout guy, I don't really see him as like a, a one whip or below into five potential kind of thing like I do the others. Um, even though he's flashed that or he's like hinted at, I mean, I, I should really take it back, right? Because two, five, four year and a 0.91 whip. What are you saying, Nick? That's what he did in 2022. <laughs> yeah, that was like a 41 inning scoreless stretch that we should not expect again. I don't know. 
5.9 hit per nine, and that went up to eight this year. And that's like, yeah, that's that's more normal. Um, so you can kind of pick whoever you want in this situation. Personally, I'm always going to go for Pablo Lopez in the fifth if I can, because you have him at SP6, but that's another story. The real question I want to ask, and I think this is a really good way of assessing your draft here, is, I mean, first of all, you didn't expect all four of those at this point, right? We, none of us really thought that there would be three starting pitchers taken after three rounds. That's just insane. Um, now, would you swap one of those other pitchers, a Wheeler, Castillo, Burns with Bo Bichette, and then instead of Strider getting any other hitter? So... Instead so of doing the shot, yeah, go with like go with Gallon Wheeler three right. four, and then, and then in the second in the round, then you have the pick of Bryce Harper, Jose Ramirez, Juan Soto, Austin Riley, Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, I probably. I mean, so th- this is where I get into a, a, a debate between what I was doing in this draft versus yeah. what I would typically do. Right? Typically, right. that's an easy choice for me because typically I wait on pitching anyways. For what mm-hmm. I was trying to do in this draft. I, I don't think so. I actually think I would have taken Strider because my goal was to walk away from this feeling like my rotation is set and strong. Yeah. And I will, if I need to find hitters as the season goes on, I can. But that was that was sort of where I, yeah, what I was striving to do here, which is, like I said, a different approach. It's not what it I would makes normally all the do. Sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really actually talking about that, Chad. I'm talking about yeah. kind of like your takeaway. Now that you've done this and you've tried, that was your goal of it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's not really like you should have done this. It's more of a cool. Now that your takeaway of this in 2024, if you're in the 12th spot, you might be in the, in the situation of saying your third, third and fourth round turn might give you like Castillo Burns or something like that. Yeah. Is that and actually to be honest, you think you're you know, going to do in March? No, I, I think I think I would probably given that choice, I would probably do something like Otani Harper. Gallon and one of the other three, although I'm not yeah. totally sure off the top of my head which one I would do. Zach um, it's Zach Wheeler. It's Zach Wheeler. It's the greatest fastball. It probably is. Yeah. I would probably it's take Zach and greatest. Zach just for the team name. Huh. Right. It's got to, got to, oh, got to take advantage of that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, so we spent a lot of time on those top four picks. We have a lot more to talk about here. We have 19 others. We're going to talk about with Chad Young here. We're going to talk about all of those after this break. This episode is brought to you by Factor Meals. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Skip the stress of meal prepping over the holidays with Factor. Choose from 35 or more weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready in just two minutes. Head to factormeals.com slash K-O-R-K-50 and use the code K-O-R-K-50 to get 50% off. That's code K-O-R-K-50 at factormeals.com slash K-O-R-K-50 to get 50% off or click the link in the show's description. All right, so fifth round comes and we were talking about uh, with second baseman, it falls off a little bit. We've only had five taken at this point. Bryson Stott was one earlier in the uh, the round five with, I believe it was 34 stolen bases or something along those lines at second base. And Matt McClain, this is a guy who really 
won a lot of leagues for people as he came out of nowhere in the middle of the season for the Reds. 16 home runs, 14 stolen bases, and 290 average. Runs in RBI are good. It's just, you know, it's 89 games, so it's 65 runs and 50 RBI. But the thing is, decision values aren't good. Uh, contact ability is a little bit in question. Uh, power is obviously there. 29% K rate as well and about an 8% walk rate. How do you feel about Matt McClain for 2024? Yeah, I so I do like McLean. I will say I think I I looked at the picks that were coming. Like the last three middle infielders taken before I took McLean were O'Neill Cruz, who I love. Everyone loves like how could you not love O'Neill Cruz? Yeah, but right. there's a lot of question marks still yeah, there. <laughs> um Bryson Stott and CJ Abrams. And I was like, wow, those are the middle infielders going now. Right. I like McLean. I like I, I'm going to take McLean now. I'm not waiting. Um, sure, yeah. And as I already said, I, I sort of think I could have waited on middle infield longer than I did. Mm-hmm. So like like look at the way this played out. I kind of wish I had taken either a third baseman or Torkelson maybe as my first baseman mm-hmm. along with my my six like use do that in the fifth. But I'm still okay with McLean here. It's sort of like I was saying with Bichette. It's like, I'm fine with the pick. I think it's a, I get why I did it. I, I like the pick, but in retrospect, I think I could have gotten away with one middle infielder out of these two rather than both and then figured out middle infield later. Right. Yeah. It is interesting. You're saying, oh man, there's so much, yeah, there's so much middle infield depth and here you are. In the first uh, five rounds, you're like shortstop and second base. We're good, baby. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> that's that's because I thought that's where the depth would play. Like I thought yeah. it would be a problem to get it. And then as, right. as the and draft went right. on, absolutely. So I yeah. uh, so yeah. So Matt McLean, are you worried about those about like the contact and the uh, the strikeout rates of McLean? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be crazy not to be right. Like they're <laughs> they're genuinely concerning. Um, I think we're at a, a point in the draft right now where there's everybody's got some warts, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, no, warts, no absolutely. And, and so I just, I mean, he played 89 games last year and had 16 home runs, 14 stolen bases, 65 runs, and 50 RBI. Right. Uh, and that was along with a 290 wild. average. Now, that 290 average comes with a 385 Bapit. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not penciling him in for 290 for next year, but right. I think he can put up a pretty decent average with good power, good speed, and I think he's going to both score and drive in a ton of runs in that lineup. Um because so, I think that lineup's going to do some damage next year. Yeah, definitely. and in that park. Yeah. Um and Matt McLean, I will say I was saying he had bad decision values. Actually, he had really good ones for the first uh about um I'd say 40 games or so that he had, and then it really tailed off by the end. Um and the same thing with contact ability, and maybe that was you know, there's something to be said about uh, rookies. I say this all the time is uh, is with pitchers more so because, well, you know, I talk about pitchers all the time. Um, I love when hitters uh, go through their tough period. I'm a huge believer in uh, performance of star players when they come back from adversity, when they first go through their hurdle and they get over that hump. Um, for me, that's Grayson Rodriguez coming back after having his debut, going through hardship, going back to the minors, and then returning and dominating. Yeah, That is there to stay now, in my view. And Matt McClain had his time in the sun, kind of, and then across his first 500 swings, he's looking all right with contact ability. I mean, it's not great. It's still you know, above the 25th percentile, but now it's like first percentile by the right. end of the year, then the final 200. 
So it's a question of uh, do we think that Matt McClain is going to now be back up in uh, at the start of next year? Is it going to be something where Matt McClain is going to need like a month or two um, to get into it? And then are we in a position where we are going to hold on to Matt McClain through that? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's I, interesting. I think- I look for that. So I totally agree with that, by the way. And I look for it in the minors as well. I love Mm. seeing guys who like get called up to double A, struggle, and then go back to double A and crush it. And McLean's not exactly that, but his first look at the high minors in 2022 in double A, he had a 28.1% strikeout rate. He still had a good season. He had a 366 Woba, like he was still crushing the ball because that's what he does. 2023, they don't waste any time sending him back there despite that strikeout rate. They send him straight to AAA. And in AAA, he has a 20.6% strikeout rate. It's only 180 plate appearances, but like it shows that kind of growth and adjustment. And like, Mm -hmm. wow, the high minors are a lot harder, right? He went from a 20.2% strikeout rate in high A to 28.1 in double A, right back to 20.6 in AAA. Now he's up to 28.5 in the majors. I don't think it's necessarily going to go all the way back down to that 20%. But he has shown me a pattern of, okay, when you challenge me, I'm going to struggle with this, but I'm going to learn and grow and develop and get to where I need to be. And I think we're going to see that from him next year. Yeah. So I uh, so I hope so with McLean. Um, the next one's really interesting too. It's Jordan Walker. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I have a small story here about Jordan Walker. Uh, I <laughs> I remember distinctly in the uh, the labor draft in Florida. Um, Jordan Walker was a huge, huge deal. We were watching him. He was destroying things. He was doing great. And I didn't want Jordan Walker on my team. But I knew that Gray Albright really wanted Jordan Walker. And I didn't really, like, I had a, a moment of, like, uh, um, you know, in dra- auction drafts, like, you put out a bid, not really thinking much about it, knowing that someone else is going to do it. And then yeah. I realized I put out a bid for Jordan Walker. That was, was like, $11 or something like that, or maybe 13 And I was like, what did I just do? And I, oh no! And then Gray's like, "All right, fine, I'll take Jordan Walker," and it was great. And he went for fourteen. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Oh <laughs> man! Oh gosh! And I knew he really loved him. But honestly, I, look, we all know that Jordan Walker kind of um, went back and forth as far as playing time and just really didn't get into any sort of groove. One hundred seventeen games, but it was still sixteen home runs, seven stolen bases, fifty-one runs, fifty-one RBI, two seventy-six average. I. Uh, it looks like he's going to get more time this year, right? Like, is Jordan Walker ready to just be a massive stud? I I think so. I mean, I here here's my thing is I he, hear so many people talk about what a disappointing season he had. Yeah, he had a one sixteen WRC plus as a twenty one year old. Yeah, after he got wild. sent down and came back, oh, it was one twenty yeah. the rest of the season. Yeah, like, he missed the, being all twenty. Of May. Yeah, but. Being 20% above league average from June through the end of the season at age 21 is really good. It is really yeah. hard to do that at that age, right? Like if he were doing that in like double A, we'd be like, oh, he's having a good season in double A for a 21 year old. Like, and he right. did it in the majors. So I'm, I think that there's some, uh, there was some prospect fatigue there. And it's like, I, I, Someone I was talking to about him recently said like, you know, before he debuted last year, people were talking about like Acuna as a comp. And I was like, well, okay, but that was a crazy comp and nobody should have been putting that on him ever. Right. But like, yeah, if you were expecting Acuna, he's a huge disappointment. But if you were like, this is a 21-year-old trying to break into a somewhat crowded outfield with a bunch of guys who we don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. And by the end of the season, he's going to be a regular 
putting up a 120 WRC plus, like that's that's a good season. And so, yeah, I'm like a high average, good power, lots of runs and RBIs. And I do think he will be locked into that lineup this year. I don't think they're going to mess around with him again. Now, again, it's really important just understanding Jordan Walker relative to the other options, right? And we still had a, a lot of fascinating guys to go for, as you even mentioned before, like Torque, and you had Bregman and Maurice Lewis and, and Young, um, Brian Reynolds being a solid uh, contributor constantly, and Marcel Zuna, Arenado. There's also a ton of stud pitchers left, like George Kirby's out there, Tarek Skubal, Max Freed, Grayson Rodriguez, Freddy Peralta, um, Walker Bueller, um, all taken before your next pick. Uh, and do you feel that Jordan Walker is going to be going still around this time? Or is he going to be kind of pushed down farther? Or do you think the helium is going to go way back up? I think that for the next, let's see, what what is it now? We're recording this late October. I think for the next like two to three months, he's going to get pushed down. And mm-hmm. I think once we hit spring training, people are going to see him hitting again and be like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the helium is going to pick up again. Yeah. Right. Of course. So that's that's oh, sort of what I'm expecting from him. I, I think for me, you're right. There were a ton of interesting pitchers who went here. I had already gotten Strider and Gallon. Oh, right. I wasn't going to take exactly. a pitcher here. So that, that, that was yeah. fine. Um, but I do think like the next outfielder two picks later was Brian Reynolds. I think Reynolds would have been an interesting pick here. I think Jordan Walker has more upside. I, I like him sure. better. I'd agree with that. Um, I ended up struggling to I ended up struggling a bit with third base. Mm-hmm. And so there's part of it's like, man, maybe I should have gone with with Bregman or I think probably is, is Lewis. Lewis is going to be middle infield eligible. He's going to have shortstop in some leagues, isn't he? Or not? I don't well, know. It could be. I'll check remember. that right now. But uh, keep going. Um, but I, there, there's part of me looking at this going like, eh, maybe I should have gone with one of those guys. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel pretty good with Walker. I like I'm I'm pretty yeah. happy with with him. I think Yeah. There's I'm not looking at that round right now and thinking, man, I wish I had a do-over. I'm pretty sure. happy. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I don't think that you would. Um Royce Lewis only one game at shortstop. Uh otherwise all third base or at DH. But I didn't even know. Yeah. Was I remember he used to be uh, coming up. I remember seeing him at the AFL. Um oh, quick question, by the way. Are you gonna be able to make it to the uh first pitch Arizona this year? No, not this year. Wish I could. I've never oh, made it. Chad, I want to. I got to meet you in person. You know, I got to see someday, you. someday. <laughs> oh man! All right. Uh, and please bring that guitar that you have over your right shoulder as well. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, what, what what guitar is that, by the way? Oh, I have no idea. It's just a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I. So I take I take guitar lessons, and I've uh-huh. I've played. I'm I take lessons through the School of Rock, and their their whole thing is that you do performances, and so I've done that a couple awesome. shows. Yeah. Right. Um, it's super cool, but I'm not like people are like, oh, you play guitar. I'm like, eh, I have a guitar. I actually, have, I have two guitars because that's, that's an acoustic. I have an electric yep. that's over my, you can't see it right now. And yeah. I have a bass because I play bass as well. That's great. Play bass as well. No, you play bass. Don't but. worry. Don't let anyone <laughs> tell you don't play bass. That's ridiculous. Um, I, if nobody do- else tells me. I just tell myself. Uh, oh, that, that's so cool. And last question. I know everyone's like, what? This is not what we signed up for. Um, when you pick up your guitar, what do you play? 
Uh, I play whatever I'm working on for the mm-hmm. show that I'm going to be doing because I like I don't have enough time to play to just like goof off, and so I'm constantly like the, the show I'm working on right now that I just started rehearsing for. It'll be in January or February or something like that. Is a a yacht rock show, is so I'm playing right? like Africa by Toto. Oh my gosh, uh, Chad, Africa by Toto. You know the story of me and Africa and Toto, of course. I don't. What? Um, for everyone listening, I think a lot of people are like, oh my god, Nick, Nick, tell him, please. Uh, <laughs> it's um, I what this is what I do is I listen to Africa by Toto every night when I do the SP roundup on repeat. It's it's what <laughs> I, I didn't do. Realize that it's it's a it, for me it's just like a it's just a background music thing that I just do on repeat. But what's so fun about it is uh, you guys must know by now that like we have internal pictureless tech, we have things that help us do you know what we do here at pitchless faster more efficiently than um just kind of doing it all from scratch and one of those things from the very uh, you know i think after like the second or third season i was like okay i need to find someone to get me all the pitching lines so i don't have to manually going through all the box scores and do it right. myself and so eventually i wanted to get it so that inside of wordpress i press a button and it gets me all the starters and stuff and we have this for batters box as well but all of a sudden brett goldhammer our wonderful developer he without telling me I already had Toto playing already on Spotify and I hit add starters to the page and all of a sudden I hear it doubled through the browser. I'm going, what's going on? How did I transfer my Spotify to the browser? And I turn it off and I on Spotify, I hear it's on the browser and I see a play and a stop button. Brett hard-coded Toto to play on <laughs> repeat inside of the WordPress SP Roundup post. That's pretty it's funny. I, I use I use that SP Roundup button when I did uh, the first pitch podcast. Oh yeah, it's great because I would use yeah. it to. But it but it must have been predated Africa <laughs> playing on repeat because I never noticed. Well, I mean, once that, it, I always had my computer on mute. So you might have just seen the pop up if that's where you're using oh, yeah. the pop up of the listing. Then it won't play. Yeah, it might have been. Hit, like add pictures and you select them. Then it starts playing <laughs> Toto. So that's awesome, man. Uh, good luck in the, in the performance and everything. We're going to go over one more picture uh, before we are player that before we go into the break. And we have Yuri Perez here. And oh, I like this one. Tell me how you feel about Yuri Perez. Yeah. So I get like there, there's some injury concern. The performance down the stretch wasn't quite where it was earlier in the season. <laughs> but like... <laughs> okay. I look at the rest of the pitchers who went in this seventh round and like other than Grayson Rodriguez, if you told me one of these guys is a top 10 pitcher next year, Perez is top of that list for me. Mm. Right. And so this was just a, like I said, I'd been taking, I'd already had a couple pitchers. I normally wouldn't go to a third pitch. I wouldn't normally go to a second pitcher this soon, let alone a third. Yeah. But I was like, I I would have taken him. I, I would have taken him before a handful of the guys who had already been taken. And I was like, sure. I'm just I'm not passing on this right now. Yeah, I get that. Um, and Yuri Perez's skill set is, it's interesting. I mean, what you're going to see right now is the four seam we're getting just a 12, uh, sorry, 10% swing strike rate, which honestly to me is a little shocking. And then you kind of realize, oh, wait a second. He did not get this pitch elevated. It was only 41% um, high lock, which is 11th percentile. The league average is 52% on four seamers. And that doesn't surprise me. Where do you find whiffs on four seamers? You find them upstairs. He also didn't really throw it in two strike counts. Um, just a 26 percent to strike rate which is only 37th percentile as well for four seamers so yuri perez's four seamer i think can be much better than it was and then you have a slider and curveball each with a 23 percent plus uh swing strike rate which is incredible and you're going to see over time both of those pitches getting more strikes 
The changeup, which is kind of funny, is normally the bread and butter of Miami Marlins pitchers. However, 35% strike rate is first percentile, aka, oh my gosh, he can't throw it for a strike. Um, it's kind of funny to see a 0.7% called strike rate, which I think means that it was once. Uh, I'm pretty sure he threw <laughs> one of them for a called strike in 150 thrown, uh, which is absolutely hilarious in my book. So maybe it was two then. It, it was two, 7.5. Yeah, that would be, it's zero. It's fine. It's two. Anyway, I. Uh, That's twice yeah, as good. Yeah, twice as good. Yeah, there it is. Um, but yeah, Yuri Perez to me is someone that is just going to get better. And the the Marlins are going to need him next year. 91 innings. You see, it's, I think it's more like 110, including uh, the minor leagues, I believe, from last year. It's enough for me to feel like, yeah, Yuri Perez is going to go every five days um, for the most part. There might be some stalling at some point. Jason, maybe. I'm just kidding. Uh, may, maybe some point of <laughs> uh, of delay with Yuri Perez. But honestly, I, I implore everybody, do not draft your teams based on theoretical shutdowns. Um, it does you no good. Uh, you have no idea how the season is going to play out. You don't know if there's going to be some sort of delay. There's some sort of injury that stalls him for three weeks or something like that. If they push him or not, um, there's so many ways for that to not be what you think it is. Don't draft guys around potential September shutdowns. It's just silly. I also think the the Marlins are more aggressive, unlikely to be out of the race in September. And so if they're going to shut him down at some point, it's going to be like, a phantom IL stint or a couple of skip starts in the middle of the season right. because they're going to want him on the mound in September. And that's what they did this year. That's exactly yeah. what they did this year, right? They put him in the in the minors, right? So, so that's the thing. I, so I, really I think that he'll be that. there. And this is a head-to-head league, right? Or at least it's a head-to-head oh, yeah, draft. Yeah, yeah. So yep. he'll be there for me when I need him. Right. Um, and I really am looking forward to Yuri Perez getting that four-seamer um, working more. It's a high strike rate, but I feel like there's another level of command here. He's all, again, he was 20 years old this year. He's going to be 21 in April. Um, the slider and Kerbal each already flexing immense with ability. There's going to be more polish that's added here. I think he only goes up instead of down. So I, I dig it. Uh, you get a seal of approval. Uh, first one I'm giving you um, for this one. I mean, I could arguably give it to you for Zach Gallon, but it's just not my style. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I could even give it to Shoyo Tani and even everything you were saying there. I... I look at that first round, and I haven't really done this yet, of all of those guys are great. The only one I think I wouldn't do is Matt Olson. Sorry, Pete. You can tell him I said that in Keeping Cut. Uh, Keeper <laughs> Cut. But uh, everyone else, like Trey Turner, Judge, Tatis, Freeman, Witt, etc. All of those are like, well, yeah, you're getting it. Like, you need to get a guy that is like, that is first round talent back. I know this. Matt Olson just had an insane season. I think that's a peak and not a uh, plateau. Um, but I mean, I'm not saying he's bad. He should just be a second rounder. And Otani, when Otani yeah. plays and hits, he's going to be great. So, um, right. I understand that. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to the eighth round, but before we do, we have to take a quick break and we're back. And I was actually just talking to chat about this. The, uh, you know, these mock draft podcasts I do are just so fun for me because we have people on like Chad who give me insight on players that I maybe have certain biases on one way or another, or I'm just not really, um, that educated on them. And I know that every pick that Chad makes comes from a certain place. And I want to understand that. Like, understanding Jordan Walker. I didn't really... When I saw that pick, I was like, is it that? Uh, is he ready for that or not? Now I see, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to be in- ensuring that Jordan Walker goes in the first seven rounds now. And if he doesn't, there's a guy that like, if I'm in a situation of feeling there isn't a good hitter to pick, and Jordan Walker is there, I'm like, sweet. 
got it because this is kind of the area where hitters dry up and that's why everyone shifted to starters in the seventh and eighth rounds and closers and speaking of closers you took the very second very second the second very closer off i I didn't see edwin diaz there for a moment thanks samolsky (laughs) um emmanuel classe who did not have that kind of season we expected with a 322 ERA, 116 whip, and just a 21% K rate. But he did lead the league in saves at 44. And is that why you're doing this? You're saying, look, like the whip is weird. He's a reliever. The hipper nine going from 5.3 to 8.4 is weird. And the strikeout rate dropping seven points. Relievers are weird. Everything's fine. He's going to get all the saves. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I actually think everything's fine. Um, hmm. I... So I, I'm a I'm from Cleveland. I'm a Guardians fan. I I watch Emmanuel Classe pitch a lot, and his his velocity was down. He was giving up a lot of contact. There was some, I I think bad BAPIP luck. Now it's hard to say that, but he had a 295 BAPIP last year. It was 222 the year before. I don't think either of those is a realistic prediction for next year. I think his career number of 264 is probably about right. And so I think that will help. But like, I don't think the strikeouts are going to come back to where they were. I, I Like, I have real concerns about him. What I am not concerned about is he is the closer in Cleveland. He is in no danger of losing that job. They have signed him to an extension. He will be closing games right. for a while. The arbitration Cleveland is also the type of work because of that extension, which is a huge, huge point that was brought up earlier this year. Sorry. What, what was that? Uh, those that get signed to extensions as opposed to yeah. um, are up for arbitration is a big yeah. deal because guys will get le- fewer saves if they're up for arbitration. Uh, so to hear that he's on extension should quell any sort of fears there. Right. And I also think Cleveland has, has shown in the past that once they have a closer, they're not going to displace him because someone's pitching better sure. because they're perfectly happy to have the better pitcher throw other innings. Like they, they're not, we, we, and we've seen this from Cleveland repeatedly. So, He's the closer. He's going to be the closer. That's not going to change. Cleveland has good pitching and just enough offense to win 50% of their games, which is exactly what you want from your closers team, right? Yeah. You want like the fact that uh, the fact that he led the league in saves is not a fluke. It's because the Guardians, when they win, it's three to two, it's five to three. Like it's they're not winning games 11 to one <laughs> where right, sure. where your closer doesn't matter. So he gets a ton of save opportunities. So I looked at this and said, I think there's a good chance he's basically what he was last year. And that's fine. To me, that's, that is worth it, especially in a head-to-head league where rates can be so variable week to week anyways, that yeah. what I really want out of my closer is to pile up those saves. Right. Um, and I also, I often punt saves in head-to-head. I felt like class A here was such a good opportunity to set myself up well in saves that I changed my strategy for the rest of the draft and focused on making sure I got three closers I liked mm. instead of oftentimes I'll, I'll go with no closers in head to head drafts because I'll just be yeah. like, forget it. I'll, just, I'll lose saves. I don't care. Right. Um, and I was like, nope, I have an opportunity here to sort of I love my starting pitching already. I have an opportunity to lock down a lot of saves in the bullpen. I'm going to go do that. Yeah, and that's yeah, I get that. So that's it's, what I, uh, that, and honestly, I, I expected Class A to be gone a round or two earlier. It was the fact that he was still there that I was like, okay, yeah, let's do I, it. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the In the Pen podcast about this because I think entering next year we have the most clarity with uh, with closer situations. I think we've had in a long time. 
um, where we had so many guys that were just clearly the closer. And uh, yeah. talking about this uh, just the other day um, uh, with uh, with Jake Crumpler, um, he was saying, of course, part in the penny saying, yeah, I think people are moving away from like the fireman, any muddy committee approach. A lot more guys are like, no, that's the person like Rizal Iglesias and Josh Hader and Duran and Romano and Devin Williams and Bednar and Seawald and Munoz yeah. and Fairbanks and so on and so forth. Right. So, I think, yeah, I think we're seeing a reaction to better understanding of the psychological value for a guy of knowing their role. Yep. And oh, having God. a guy who yes. you know is locked in. Of course. And it's, so it's, oh, it's the, it's it matters. So it really does matter. And I think like there was this analytics push and I'm sure like, you know, your listeners are, are the kind of people who are like, no, get your best pitcher in the best situation and don't wait for them. But like, there's real value to that. And part of the reason I think Cleveland has in the past been happy to have the guy who's the closer, not necessarily be the best pitcher is because it, you can find that guy like when they had Andrew Miller and they, you know, Cody Allen was great too, but Andrew Miller was clearly the best reliever oh, yeah. in that pen. He was not the closer, but part right. of that was Miller was like, throw me when you want to throw me. They had yeah. Brian Shaw, who was great at the time. He was like, I'll go every day for right. an inning if you need me right. to. Right. And Allen thrived as the closer. Yeah. And so I think you are seeing teams that are like, no, no, no. if we have a guy who thrives as the closer, let's just write that in pen be done. And then if we have a guy who's more comfortable, like, yeah, whenever you need me, I'll be ready. Use that guy as, as the fireman, right? You still, you still want that guy, but it doesn't have to be this like, no, 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 you're our best reliever. Therefore you have to be the fireman that I think analytically minded people were pushing towards because they were ignoring, I think the human element. Sure. Oh, I, I mean, Alex Singfast has arrived. Um, fun fact, whenever I think of like an, a closer from yesteryear, you know the one I think of, B.J. Ryan. That's who I think of. Why B.J. Ryan? I just don't know. I I remember having a trade in like 2008. It must have been 2009. Uh, no, maybe it was 2008 where I traded away B.J. Ryan for Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, B.J. Ryan was hurt, and Carlos Gonzalez was like, I don't know, he's okay, like just starting off and being good. And I was like, yeah, let's just do this. And that was Ben Ben Pernick, believe it or not, back in the day. <laughs> Uh, when he was my roommate in college. Okay. Uh, yeah. So just to put a pin on the whole uh, closer stuff here, um, you're not wrong that like you can get those saves this this time around. And uh, I also took someone in the eighth round here. I took Josh Hader because I was trying as long as I could to wait on pitching. And I was like, I got to go another round, Nick. You got to keep going. And yes, I could have gone Reagan's Joe Ryan instead, which would be, oh, I, I missed out on Reagan's because of that. But uh, but here's the thing, like Iglesias going in the 10th round, I gave that to Crumpler for a seal of approval and Munoz in the 12th, which is just stupid. Peter Fairbanks also there and Ryan Helsley and yours in the 12th round too. And there are so many. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to go after Class A just because I actually do have concerns about the strikeouts returning. Yeah. And for the, my, my closers, all I really do care about is just saves and strikeouts. ERA and Whip are going to be kind of volatile and that's just kind of how that is. It's rare for you to get the strikeouts and saves with terrible ratios anyway. Like, right. sure, if it's 322, 116, fine, whatever. Um, I do worry that those might not go, that might not come back. Are you seeing a reduction in O-swing on both the slider and the cutter dramatically in the last two years? Um, and without those, that means that the quality of contact went way up. And Hitluck said it was exactly the same for the cutter and the slider the last two years. Um, I do worry a little that the ridiculousness of 2001, so sorry, 2022 and 2022, 
I never know how to say like 2021. Is it just say 2021 instead of 2021? I don't know. Anyway, sure. of those two seasons, <laughs> uh, they, they're not going to come back personally. Um, but you're absolutely right. You are going to get saves with Emmanuel Class A. Right. And that makes all the sense here. Um, we spent a lot of time in a closer. I cannot believe this. Uh, Josh Naylor, another <laughs> Cleveland guy. Yeah. You actually have, uh, you're going to have three, if not four, no, three uh, Cleveland guys. Well, I guess only, two. yeah, three. Three, three. He's still the other one's still a Cleveland guy. I forget why I thought he wasn't. Josh Naylor's here though. Hi. Great. Why Josh Naylor? So Naylor, part of this was first base was getting, I think, a little ugly. Um, <laughs> That's the way to put I, it. Like it, it happened so fast because, like, the seventh round. Late seventh round, Eric takes Tristan Cassis, who I still I really like. I'm I'm very high on Cassis. And then nobody goes in the eighth. In the ninth round, we get Spencer Steer, who qualifies at like eight other positions and yeah, won't be there used you at go. first base. <laughs> uh Vinny Pascantino, who I like, but you know, we'll see. And then I was like, oh goodness, like Naylor, I really like. And then there's like Encarnacion Strand was the next one, like three rounds later. And then like Reese Hoskins in the 18th. Like they're just first baseman got real thin, real fast. And I really like Naylor. And I think, you know, the, the big wart, the big question mark with Naylor is like, you know, will he get to 20 home runs, let alone 25 or 30 that you might like to have out of your first baseman, sure. but he's, he's going to hit for a high average. He's going to put up a, a good amount of RBIs. He he's, he needs some improvement in the guardians lineup to really help out with runs. Mm-hmm. But, I think he's going to put up good numbers. I think the other challenge with him, but it is manageable in a daily moves league, is you should never have him in your lineup against a left-handed pitcher under any circumstances. Mm. Just don't. Um, the Guardians have tried to like make him an everyday player, and he's just he's just not. And <laughs> so he sits versus lefties, and that's fine. And so, like you look at what he did last year it was 121 games, 17 home runs, 308 average. Only 52 runs, 97 stolen base or 97 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. There you go. But like he chips in at stolen bases. He does really well in RBIs, especially when you consider you get, you know, another 40 games of someone else to add on to that. Sure. The runs and the home runs are not everything you'd hope for out of a first baseman, but as sort of to me, the last the last first baseman I was comfortable just slotting into my lineup, mm-hmm. I I felt good about that. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I'm looking right now about the skills of Josh Naylor against lefties or righties. And it's really not that different. Um, in, in some ways, actually, he had better strike zone judgment against lefties than he did um, against righties this year. His uh, decision value is kind of the same. Power is better on the right side. Or sorry, not on the right side, against right-handed pitchers. Contact ability was right. elite all the way through. Um, you know, I, I have often a feeling of uh, teams don't let batters get through their warts enough. Um, and I feel with Josh Naylor often, like this is my, my viewpoint, he's 26. Like, let the guy face lefties until he's good enough against lefties. Um, is it that much of a detriment? I'm not looking at the actual results here, so I could be very so wrong. I um, am looking at the actual results. Yeah. And I'm I, Josh, I don't know if you're listening, but I apologize because I, I think I'm stuck in an old version in 2021 and 2022. His WRC plus against lefties was 44 and then 45. How was it? Um, they didn't even add up to average. Yeah, there you <laughs> so, go. <laughs> 
2023, his WRC plus against lefties was 127. What? See, this is is why PLV skills is good, guys. It tells you the answers. All right, that's awesome. See, like, there's your example, right? Let the guy figure it out. You know, take it back. He's he's in my lineup against lefties now. I've changed my mind. Done. Uh, I, I honestly didn't see that. I was like, oh, man, I feel like he's okay, right? He should be able to get through this. Okay, good. He's, uh, he's been so bad. So bad. I mean, like I said, yeah. 44 and 40 and 55 are, that, that is bad. That is horrific. So I wonder yeah, how but much, he, what the samples he made real strides. Of course, you know, only 60 or just about 70 games, I should say, in, in 21 total. And then about 500 plate appearances in 2022. I do wonder if they were really, yeah. that was because Those, of him being limited. It's, uh, it's only 217 combined plate appearances yeah. across those two years, but it's also only 147 plate appearances against lefties this past season. Sure. So um, it's so we'll all say, sort of small samples. Josh but Naylor, find out next year. Um, you make a good point, though, about first baseman, right? And it's uh, it gets kind of messy. I think what Jake yeah. Crumpler did by getting Reese Hoskins in the 18th round, as I mentioned him once again, is just like, oh, there is your savior a bit. Um, Josh is an average thing. Josh Naylor is a guy that I think I would be targeting if I went for your empty power guys. Like if I went after Kyle Schwarber in my draft, I feel like the perfect complement to that is Josh Naylor. Um, right. To balance it out. You went with Otani, Bichette, um, and Walker who already are average guys, in my view. Uh, I don't know what to say about McLean. McLean might actually be a kind of a 260, 250 guy next year. But Josh Naylor, I don't know how much he helps in this team construction. That said, 17 home runs and 10 stolen bases and 121 games is not like nothing here. This is that's really no. good. Also, 97 RBI in that time is insane. <laughs> yeah. You well, you you hit behind Stephen Kwan and Jose Ramirez. Yeah, there you go. And that's a right. Good <laughs> um, so yeah. I'm not necessarily I don't think that Josh Naylor hurts you here at all. He's a relatively safe one. Um, just as far as team construction goes, just be aware of it. I'm not again saying not not saying that you are doing a bad thing too. Yeah. Because also think about the other picks you're going to make, and are you going to be jump jumping into the discounted average guys, right? So uh, let's move into that tenth uh, and eleventh round here. You went after uh, outfielders, and I shouldn't really be pairing them. It's really Josh Naylor and Riley Green here. So Riley Green tenth yeah. round. Uh, what? How are you going after Green over say like Evan Carter and Anthony Santander, the guys that went later in this round? Well, we hadn't seen all the postseason yet, so I didn't know that Evan Carter was actually <laughs> the best player. I don't know if right Evan Carter is actually that good, but yeah, that's okay. No, I, I, uh, I like I. I think Green. There's so using Carter specifically as a comparison. There's a lot of hype around Carter right now. I think people forget how much hype there was around Green a year and a half fish ago, sure, yeah. and he really made some like real strides this last year and performed for the first time in, in the majors after after a pretty rough go of it as a 21 year old in 2022 and this is i think sort of your i like seeing a guy who struggles and makes the adjustments and improves right and you know his his o swing rate went down and his z swing went up he's swinging it you know that that's. I'm sure you're going to pull up the PLV data, so I'll let you do that. <laughs> but his swing decisions at the surface are getting better. He's swinging yeah. through, like he, he's making better decisions. He's making better contact, and he's getting better results. And he's you know still just 
23 years old and has potential to, to continue to grow and develop. So I, I think that's that was what I saw. I, I think you could make a strong case that uh, that Santander would have been the, the safer, smarter choice. Mm-hmm. But I liked the upside on green and I'm, I'm probably making that decision too often, to be honest, going with the upside. But that's what I've been. That's what uh, I did 12 here. teamer. It's OK. Uh, you can do that. <laughs> and you have a, a solid yeah. four here, of course, here, too. Um, yeah, Riley Green's decisions were really bad in the first half of 2022, and then he improved them as he went on. It was actually really encouraging. He kind of picked up a bit where he left off there um, and really peaked around 75th percentile with that. He landed, unfortunately, in the last like two months or so of the year to about a 35 percentile um, with his decision value. That's just with that one on its own. Still, that is seeing the peak that happened midway through the year is good. His contact ability had a really terrible moment uh, around like July or so. I mean, it really just plummeted to like 10th percentile, which is oh boy, you never want to see that. But then it came back to league average by the end of it. And when it comes to power, he's been above 75th percentile since like June. So uh, there's something to be said with that. I mean, we're talking like above 90th percentile power um, for a couple months. Uh, so. Yeah interesting to see that with Riley Green and also that it's it's not consistent and for a 23 year old yes he is going to be 23 for the heavy majority of next year to see that he has those peaks is very interesting um, right. and I say this often with with offenses I think oftentimes we undervalue uh, teams entering the season because they were just really bad when they're often filled with youth and youth generally gets better every year um they're going to be sneaky guys on all of the bad offenses that you know from this past year we're talking about the royals for example with right. garcia and pascantino and velasquez and and bobby witt like that could actually be an interesting offense next year and the tigers with torkelson in there with green in there they might improve there as well so um riley green's a very interesting one 10th round, obviously, you're chasing over the upside here, but he's certainly of this ilk of, like, say, a Suzuki and James Outman as well with Evan Carter. Like, guys like, okay, these might be ones that really take a nice step forward next season. And Jorge Soler is in there, too, and that is your next pick um, in the 11th round here. Jorge Soler is a massive power guy, has good decisions, but 250 average, not the greatest contact one. Still 37 home runs. Sorry, 36 home runs this year for Jorge Slayer in just 137 games. You're kind of expecting him to do that again. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is the the compliment to the Naylor pick. Right. Right. This is the okay, I've taken Naylor as my first baseman. I need to go make sure I find that pop somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And when I came around to this pick and I, I've been sort of watching Solaire, I also like Max Muncy went a couple mm-hmm. rounds later. He was another guy I sort of had an eye on as this like, I'm not going to worry about anything except a guy who can put up a bunch of home runs. And Solaire is my sort of my first choice of this tier of power guys. And right. it, w- it was a fairly easy choice given the way I had built my team so far that he was the right next fit. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a high ICR rate, 70% uh, percentile for uh, for uh, Solaire's ICR rate at 43%. Um, it's good to see that. Obviously, all the nice um, exit velocity stuff that you would want. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I dig it. Um, you're not going to find this kind of power um, later on, really. It's hard to find that. 
And 11th yeah. round, I remember seeing him go. I was actually thinking around the 14th round. It's cool. So, Solaire gone. Like, oh, man, he's already gone. Ugh. And we're really running out of those guys. Um, yeah. Now, there are some, like Jake Berger, for example. There is Max Muncie. You can make an argument for J.D. Martinez, depending on where he lands. Um, Teoscar Hernandez certainly has power in there, too. Um, but uh, you know, but Solaire is a solid one. Um, 12th round is Alexis Diaz. And Diaz, I mean, you're going for guys that have jobs, and Diaz certainly looks like he has a job in Cincinnati with 37 saves this past year. Yeah, and this is, I, I don't have a ton to add here. Like I said before, I once I realized I could get class A where I did, I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and build a strong bullpen. And I, you know, I came up in that 12th round, and like after I took Diaz, there was this run of Helsley, Fairbanks, King, Munoz, Seawald. I looked at all those guys as well as Presley and Phillips. Tanner Scott also went in that group, but I wasn't really looking at him. But I looked at all those guys and decided I liked Diaz the best. I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I've got a really great explanation for that other than he was the one who I feel most confident he's got a hold on the job, except with the exception of Presley. Um and I really like the upside that Diaz brings. And I think Cincinnati's going to win a lot more games this year. And so I was like, all right, let's go with it. You know what's really funny is uh, there's another good draft going on right now, Chad. Uh, right? The, uh, the, this, the second one, the writers one. And they have four exact picks as you. Um, actually, two. Sorry, sorry. They have <laughs> two that are exactly the same and one that's around different. They both went, you and them went, uh, this is Sam Lutz, Otani as a 12th overall pick. And they got Matt McClain, but they actually got the start of the fourth, not the end of the fifth. And they went Christian Walker too, which is kind of hilarious considering what you were saying. Uh, (laughs) And they went Garrett Cole instead of Spencer Strider, which is really also funny. Um, But the other thing that they did was that they went Bednar in the 11th and Alexis Diaz as the 12th. So I, uh, you should feel pretty good about that. At least, yeah, here's a guy who strikes out a ton, 30% strikeout rate. It's going to get a ton of saves. It fits the mold of what I'm talking about here. And uh, yeah, it seems pretty safe that Alexis Diaz is going to close out a lot of games. Um, now, there are some other ones to consider. Say like Andres Munoz uh, was one yeah. of them. Peter Fairbanks, Ryan Helsley, Seawald. Uh, where does Diaz rank? I'm mean, obviously ahead of those guys, but were those other ones in contention with you? Yeah, I'm saying I was saying I like I I looked at like I said the ne- the next I guess King doesn't really belong in this group because he's no. a starter now I guess but Helsley Fairbanks Munoz Seawald Presley Tanner Scott and Evan Phillips were the next let's see one two three four five six or seven whatever it is closers off the board other than Scott I considered all of those guys before taking Diaz um I yeah it just was. Like some of those guys, Helsley, there's a little, I, I'm a little less confident that like Helsley or Fairbanks are going to get every single save opportunity. Seattle has shown a history of moving guys in and out of the role a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Presley has had some, like he's been very good, but also had some yeah, he's a lot moments where, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's getting it's, worse for Presley. The end is coming and yeah. Houston is not going to mess around because they have other guys in that bullpen who can step right. in when it's time. So I just it was a it was a combination of like I really like the skills. I I think he's got a really strong grasp of the job. And he saved 37 this year for a team that I think is going to win a lot more games next year mm. than they did this year. There you go. Uh we're gonna go to the 13th round now. And this is Shane Bieber. This is the third uh, Cleveland Guardian that I hinted at before. 
Shane Bieber to me is someone who is trending in the wrong direction. 20% K rate, 3.8 ERA, 123 whip, missed a lot of time, um, and then came back very, very briefly. That kind of can be ignored. I mean, there were two starts. Honestly, it was 11 innings, um, but it didn't really feel like it was classic uh, Shane Bieber. Uh, 91 mile per hour fastball as opposed to say the 93 that he's had before. He's not getting the same whiffs on his slider and, and curveball and cutter. What has you going for him here in the 13th round? So actually, those those last two starts, while I I, I understand what you're saying about like the you know lack of whiffs and stuff like that, uh, the velocity still not being back. Um, he, in 11 innings, he struck out 12 and walked one. And we have seen this from Bieber before where he has struggled, had some injury issues, and then come back strong again. And I just... I think the the upside is still there for him to be. I don't think what he's likely to be is a you know two hundred innings, three hundred strikeouts. Like he's not going to like do some crazy Strider ace level type stuff like we saw from him in the twenty twenty season when he won the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that he has. He still has top 20 starting pitcher potential. It'll be a top 20 with good rates and middling strikeouts, not top 20 better than that. Um, <laughs> but that was that was sort of where I was at this point. It was like, you know, I'm going to take the upside on Bieber. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And I'm not that concerned about it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, my assessment is... I, I just don't think there's enough in the tank anymore because it's you yeah. know, the worst. I mean, it's a 3.5% swing strike round on his four-seamer. So that's a called strike pitch. Uh, I don't think it's going to have a 99th percentile called strike rate again. The uh, I mean, could if he's saying like, hey, cool, I'm just going to throw all these things out of the zone so they just passively take it. That's one thing, fine. But um, the slider is not what it used to be. I mean, I think it's, it's sub-30th percentile slider in uh, PLV terms. And that's devastating. Because that's supposed to be the thing with him, right? Him and his curveball. Right. Um, and the cutter has been good to get strikes. It's just the whole mold of what Bieber does now is not uh, putting guys in the defensive like they used to. And because of that, uh, I, I kind of see Shane Bieber as someone that is more like, yeah, that 20% strikeout rate. And we hope the good ratios are there. But ultimately, he was a Toby now. And oh, no. He could be. We, we don't we don't draft Tobies, Chad. But then again, he could not. Yeah. Be. So I think I think I, that's the thing is like the downside is like I use him for a couple starts and I'm like, eh, it's just not really there. Yeah. The upside is that he is basically that he reinvents himself again because mm-hmm. he's had to do that already. And I sure. think he's capable of that. And so it's a this is a bet on him and the Cleveland pitching development machine yeah. to figure out a way to make his command and control them, stuff. Chad, work. I believe in their minor league development machine, not their major league one. That's, I'm a weird one like this. Uh, I am ready to be wrong. And for your sake, as a Cleveland fan, I hope I am. Yeah. Um, and your hypothetical team that does not exist. Uh, White <laughs> Langford is your 14th round pick. This is a prospect. And uh, I I had a moment like, I want to say the 18th round or so. I was like, you know what? I know about the prospect pitchers, but I don't really know the prospect hitters. And I went around and was like, okay, cool. Is White Langford taken? Is, is Jackson Churio taken? Like you guys took them way before I did. Um, and here's a 14th. And are you excited about why Langford feels like you are? Yeah, I'm very excited about him. I think he's, for my money, I think he's the best bat in the minors right now. Mm-hmm. And the Rangers, like 
they were talking about him coming up for the playoffs. No, he didn't, right? So like that's that's worth keeping in mind. But like they think he's ready to help now. If they get like if they have an injury pop up, he may be the next guy up for them. And so I think there is a he's going to be in a position to compete for an opening day job. Wow. And I think if he's up opening day, this like if I have to wait on him a while, that's gonna be very annoying and I'll probably be frustrated and bail. Mm -hmm. But if he's up in the first week or two of the season, which I think he very well could be, uh, I think this is going to be a a really good value. I mean, looking at the outfielders, if I, if you could tell me right now, like, yes, he is our opening day center fielder. He's locked in. No questions asked. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's guys going in the, in the, Ninth, tenth, eleventh, somewhere in that range. That he, there, there's guys in that mix that I'd be happy to take him with. All right, there you go. I'm very, I'm very curious about this one. I'll obviously have uh, uh, him circled uh, for uh, for my drafts in March. Um, Isaac Paredes is fifteenth, and honestly, he's one of those guys that kept appearing on my leaderboards and everything. I'm like, eh, nah, I don't trust the Rays and how they use these guys, and I just kept passing on it. But obviously, you thought, okay, fifteenth round, it's worth the gamble here. Yeah, and I I needed a third baseman, and I wanted some depth at middle infield, and he provides both. I also, sort of like the Solaire pick we talked about, um, he had 31 home runs in... He had 571 plate appearances this year. Like I said, it's the Rays. I'm not sure I'm counting on 571 plate appearances again, but if he gets me a 30 to 35 home run pace over whatever time he does play, Mm -hmm. uh, I need that power, and I'm very very happy to have it yeah his uh his contact ability is really good uh, power actually like spiked mid-season and then fell down and same thing with decision value like he was fine and then was amazing and then was terrible <laughs> uh isaac it was a very much of like a hot isaac summer uh for him and it, it just feels it feels very streaky just because of um you know also with the rays involved too as a team and also just kind of seeing the skills go back and forth here uh, very much looks like a coiled wire in the way that it's just like going up, really good coiled, and then go back down again uh, for this for the summer for uh, for Isaac Paredes. Um, so I think that's what had us all passive on him. At the same time, it's the 15th round, and you can move on at this point. Like really, when you get yeah. to the 15th and in 12 teamers, especially, it gets very murky with hitters. Pitchers, I think it's different. I think with I think with pitchers, there are still. Uh, for a good couple of rounds here, I think for a good three more at least, there are some really fascinating uh, pitchers that you can make some really good gambles on. Um, well, but hopefully we're about to talk about some of them. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Aww. Chad. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, oh, by the way, so I will say seal approval for a White Langford, by the way. I think that, that really is eye-opening to me about the aggression of him and how good he is. And like, if he's opening day roster, like, oh man, I didn't really think about that because I think a lot of the other outfielders are going to this point specifically. I really love the Chaz McCormick in 16th round. Um, I'm looking yeah. forward to talking about that one, but, um, but yeah, there really are like not that many fun outfielders to go for anymore. And um, I mean, I took Nelson Velasquez, but I think, you know, I wish I could have taken Langford in the 15th. Um, but Cal Harrison and Braxton Garrett are your next two. And you said, okay, wait, hold on a second. I have four starters. I probably need some more. Cal Harrison is known as a, as a fun upside guy. 
and uh, you have more of a desire to go after Cal Harrison than, say, some other ones that went shortly after, like Hunter Brown or Ryan Pepio or Lucas Giolito or Brian Bayo, Emmett Sheehan, Nick Lodolo, Andrew Abbott, Nessa Cortez, all guys that I would group into the, hey, cool, interesting upside, but you preferred Cal Harrison. Why? So part of that is um, park and organization, right? It's just it's a, a good place. You're, you're, you're not a fan of the org or the park. I, or I think that the Giants get this <laughs> uh, get this label of being a good development organization for making good signings entering 2021. Um, and we just saw last year and this year that development wasn't good. I mean, they're, they're, the players yeah. that were good in 2021 Fair. were not good in 2022. And we just saw a really shaky uh, pitching staff this year from the Giants. Yeah. I So I think here, here's what I see with, with Harrison, other than those two things. Um, while the strikeouts were not as high in the majors as they had been in the minors, he had made real strides with his walk rate. And in the majors, it was 7.5%, which is sure. not world beating, but it's certainly better than the 16.3% he was posting in AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, those strides started in the minors. There was some, I believe there was some, some progress headed the right direction. And so I, I think that as he develops, he can build on what he has, bring some of those strikeouts back and be very successful. Um, it's, it is absolutely a, an upside play. Um, it's not, you know, it is not anything. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for this to go wrong and for him to be off my team very quickly, for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go too far into detail here. Uh, sure. Uh, quickly put, um, when it comes to uh, Cal Harrison, I see him not as a pitcher. I see him as a thrower, and I think Got watching it. his curveball a lot. Um, I don't think he has good command of it. Um, watching his four seamer a lot, he he slings that thing. Um, and it's why it's often uh, uh, let loose, um, flies open with his shoulders, it goes um, arm side too often. He's not someone who's like, cool, I want to do a high fastball now, I want to go inside. Um, now I want to get that curveball down or something. And for being a two-pitch guy for the most part, I mean, the changeup is it does exist, 11% uh, usage and high strike rate at 72%, easily the highest of all of them, he floated so many. Um, those were not pitches that I looked at and go, oh man, he's got a really sick changeup. He doesn't. He doesn't get down on that thing. And he's a lefty slinger. I don't like lefty slingers, especially young ones. Um, you really need to showcase to me that you have consistency doing that to for me to feel like you can be anything more than a cherry bomb. I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of debate about Kyle Harrison. He's one of the more annoying guys um, type of pitchers in, for me as a fantasy analyst. Because what happens now is he's going to have some good starts and he could absolutely get into a rhythm. Like, that's what could happen. Do I feel that he's going to be like a consistent, I feel good throughout the entire year? No. I'm going to get all these questions about like, should I be adding Kyle Harrison? And I'm going to get all these questions, should I be dropping Kyle Harrison? And it will drive me insane up the wall. Think Aaron Drujini, you know? Think like, it's just, oh, gosh. And... It's up to you if you want to play that game. He could he could absolutely be uh, a plateau of greatness. Absolutely. I'm not going to say that I know how this is going to play out. I just very much feel it's going to be a cherry bomb hipster situation where you're just holding on to this thing and you don't know what you're going to get. And I hate that. <laughs> I, I want to know. Yeah. I want to know. Um, so I'm, I'm avoiding him. Uh, Braxton Garrett's completely different. Other side of the coin, says Chad Young. I'm going to go try on both sides. Is Braxton Garrett, 366 ERA, 115 whip, 24% K rate. This was... 
Seth Lugo, wasn't it? Yeah, and this is just a like Garrett was really good and I think he'll continue to be really good. I will also add talking about both Garrett and coming up in two rounds where I have Trevor Rogers. The Marlins open the season with four at home versus Pittsburgh, three at home versus the Angels, who may have Ooh. nobody left. Yeah. And uh, then then they're at the Cardinals, and I'm not really sure what to make of at the Cardinals right now, so I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to figure that out between now and opening day for this team sure. that I don't actually have to make any decisions for. Here it is. But these guys, assuming they're both in the rotation, along with Yuri Perez, who I took earlier, are going to at least get a nice, comfortable start to the season, I think. Yeah. No, and I, so, I, I get that. So that's, that was my think. Part of my thinking here was these two guys are going to go out. They'll have, if I, if by the end of spring training, I'm like, ah, I'm not really feeling it with these guys, mm-hmm. then I can give them their easy starts at the beginning of the year and, you know, make some wafer pickups and make some moves and flip them out. So, so this is the, uh, the, the, the sticky on Braxton Garrett very quickly. Um, he had this horrible game where he allowed, I believe it was 12 run runs. And uh, it, it was an atrocity. It was in, in May. And then he comes out and he kind of makes an adjustment. And It was only 11. Only oh, 11 I'm so sorry. runs. I'm so sorry. He had nine <laughs> games, Brex and Gare, where he was just on fire. He had absolute rhythm. He introduced his cutter more. Um, he had feel for a slider. He was able to work the inside corner to right-handers with cutters and, and sinkers inside. And during this nine-game stretch, Braxton Garrett had, this is from the 14th of May to June 28th, a 198 ERA, a 0.80 whip, and a 34% K rate with a 5% walk rate. This also came, um, which you won't believe, a 16% swing strike rate and a 36% CSW. And the reason I'm saying all that is because the end of the season was just a 31% CSW and 12% swing strike rate. And it was 115 whip and a 24% K rate. He had this incredible stretch that saved his season. And when I see Braxton Garrett's overall numbers of that 366 ERA and that 115 whip and 24% K rate, there's a feeling that this is a Toby who's just constantly that thing. But he's not. He's someone who was reliant on that great stretch where everything was working together in tandem and everything else was really not that great. He was very inconsistent, very not worth your time, maybe every so often, but not really a guy that you wanted to hold outside of that stretch. And I I think that Braxton Garrett's too reliant on that feel of sinker and cutter command. I mean, also, you didn't really have a slider working for a long time, too, in that second half. Um, and there are too many of these elements to me that make it so that I need to go off and get Garrett. I don't think that we're going to see that nine-game stretch again from him. I don't think that's a ceiling worth chasing. And if you're looking for something just kind of like safe and easy to throw, just get Hyunjin Ryo in the last round if you really want that. Wherever he goes, he'll be fine. Yeah, He'll go to a winning team or something. Uh, <laughs> you don't draft Tobies. You don't do it. And Braxton Garrett's one of them to me. Fair That's enough. all I got. That's all I got. I mean, I could be completely wrong about this. 24% carry over a full season isn't nothing. Um, yeah. Kelly Jansen, 18th round. You got your third closer. Man, 18th round for Kelly Jansen. Yeah, that was that was another one where I was just like, well, if he's like I was watching him because I said I wanted a third closer. And I was sort of watching the names that were out there. And yeah, I, Boston's probably going to be a decent team next year. They should be oh, yeah. a they little improved. Be and yeah. he's still going to be the closer there. So yep. 
two thumbs up. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's that that easy. 18th round, Kenley Jansen's a seal of approval. I mean, that's insane. That's like, the, uh, you're not supposed to find an actual closer you hold the entire year at this point. You're just not. And you did. Yeah. So, well done. Uh, Trevor Rogers. I like him more than Brexton Garrett. Why? Because you'll know more about is this worthwhile for your 12 teamer before Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers is completely forgot about um four ERA 122 of who cares 18 innings and this yeah. was someone who obviously came onto the scene first half of 2021 was unreal slowed down in that second half we had a lot of questions about there were a lot of things about uh um personally he was dealing with there's a lot of mental stuff about that like you didn't really think that you know cool take the season and feel better did not come through in 2022 did not have the same feel for a slider and his changeup um and then this year of course was hurt and missed the entire year you we right. imagine he's going to be fine at the start of the year and this is a really fun upside pick chad yeah i mean that that's all this was was a again i feel good about his first start because his first start is likely to be against the pirates in Miami. I love that you follow the schedule thing, right? That's that. Hey, yeah. I put that out there for a reason. You probably did it on your own because I don't know if you saw my article by the time you were doing this. So I love it. I did see your article. I don't know if I remember if it was when I did this or later, but yeah, I, I like, I like that. I like that. That's like him and Garrett both. At least I'll get a, I'll feel good getting a start out of them, which is yeah, better right. than nothing. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think like the other thing with Rogers is between spring and a start against Pittsburgh, probably, we're either going to see it or we're not. Yeah. And if we do, then I plug in my lineup and I ignore him the rest of the season and I'm thrilled. And if we don't, then somebody else will have a good first week and I'll pick them up instead. Exactly. That's the mentality you got to have. I'm all for that because look at how many guys we got this year in April and May. I mean, there were over 20 that were legitimate starters for the entire season who were not drafted after ADP 290. And this goes up to 276. And if you're not, if you're holding on to guys who you don't really know if they're good or not for too long, you're missing out. That's all it is. You need to go after the guys that are going to be way better than a 200 pick or so. And if they're not better than that, you'll get someone off the wire who could be. Um, so making those decisions early, I'm all for that. And Ricky Tiedemann's another one like this. This is a seal of approval, Ricky Tiedemann. I was kind of wondering <laughs> when he was going to go. And he should not be going in the 20th round because he's a perfect example of this. It's funny that you say that because I actually was like, eh. Like, <laughs> I, I was really happy with the pick of the time. And the more I look at it, I'm like, he's barely been to AAA. I don't know what his timeline's going to be. I hate in a league like this drafting a guy I have to stash until like June. Yeah. Right. And I think he might be a guy I have to stash until June. Well, then you don't have to. I mean, w- w- the thing about well, no, that to true. me is you see if he makes the job out of camp. If he doesn't, you might yeah. want to wait like a week. Um, and see like, okay, let's see the, the assessment of, you know, where all the dust settles of the yeah. early guys and stuff. But then after that, like, okay, cool. Is it like, what is it? The, the 10 day rule or whatever it is that if you go past right. that, then you get the full extra season of team. Right. Control. And, and that's the thing is the, the, the thing with Tiedemann is going to be not just, does he make it out of camp, but like in spring training, what's the talk track around him? Are they saying like, you know, he really needs some more seasoning. Or are they like, wow, he's close. He's in competition for a job. We'll have to see. Like, because if they're if they're making it sound like he could break camp and then he doesn't, there's probably good reason to wait and see how his first couple AAA starts go. Yeah. Sure. If they're talking about it more like, you know, we really think he like he's gonna be like a mid-season trade acquisition for us kind of thing. Like right. if that's how they're talking about him, then it's like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'll move on. But sure. 
I mean, the upside is huge. Well, here's huge. the thing. I mean, this round is actually filled with those because you have Tiedemann, you have Reed Detmers, who, by the way, I'm absolutely treating the same way here because I know yeah. everyone wants to say, oh, maybe Reed Detmers didn't play or whatever. It's like, well, we saw the skills at points and he's still under 25, right? I really like Reed Detmers. I know. When he has everything working, it's beautiful, but his velocity fell and he didn't have a slider command again and so on and so forth. But if he does have it, and it's really fun. Max Meyer coming back. I mean, I wasn't too impressed in his MLB debut in 2022, but I uh, that might be something. It might be completely different and all that fun stuff. Luis Severino, if he lands on a good team, like, whoo, that's someone's going to fix him. It's not the Yankees. The Yankees are not good at fixing uh, guys, honestly. They, it's sometimes, I don't know if are, anyone's going to fix Severino. Uh, I'm very curious about this, much more so than like Noah Syndergaard. I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that more people at this point are more encouraged by Severino getting fixed than Severino. Like, if Severino goes to the Dodgers, I'm way more in on Severino than I was with Syndergaard this time last year, right? Uh, yeah, I agree with that. that. But that's what's strange to me. I feel like the But let's see where he goes. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100%. I imagine someone interesting is going to take a chance on this. Um, I would hope so. You have James Paxton, who, when he's healthy, he's great. Like, he's the perfect example of this, of like, hey, all right, I have him at the beginning of the year. If he's starting, then I'm absolutely putting him in my lineup. But the second he's hurt, then I move on. Who cares? 20th round. Same idea of the other guys we just talked about. Um, there's also uh, other ones I'm trying to look at. Here, like Kenta Maeda is like this too. Graham Ashcraft is like this. Connor Phillips is like this. Um, and there was a fun Jacob Mizorowski pick, uh, which is more about closer, honestly. Like maybe he comes in as a closer hmm. out of the gate. Who knows? Probably not going to happen there. Tiedemann's a fun one. Another interesting one is David Festa, who didn't get drafted in this. Who I uh, who could make a case for a starting spot for the Twins, um, and he looks good. Um, there are some other interesting prospect pitchers, which is funny. I never know this, Chad. I never actually do this research, but I did for everyone this year. <laughs> I went after it. Thank you, Matt Heckman, for all the help. Um, but anyway, so Ricky Team is is I think going to be the premier one that we all talk about, especially if he gets that job. He is a lefty slinger though, which isn't fun, but boy, is it good. He looks so good. All right. Uh, Justin Turner um, is one of your last three picks here. It's Turner, Estuary Ruiz, and Francisco Alvarez. Uh, tell me about Justin Turner. First, second, and third base eligible. I needed another third baseman because I can't count on Paredes playing every day because Rays. Yep. Uh, and so now between the two of them, I basically... The two of them plus the fact that McLean is shortstop and second base means I've got my, my infield pretty well backed up, mm-hmm. which... I like and Turner was really good this year. And yeah, I think he turns like 83 this offseason or something like that. And so we'll see if he's still any good. But like, I'll take a shot on that for a guy with that kind of eligibility that I can play all over my infield coming off the season he did. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's take a gamble. Um, Why not? Then you have Ruiz. There's some extra steals in a head to head league. That's wonderful. Yeah, that was purely that. That was a like, I may literally never put him in my lineup, but if it's Wednesday and stolen bases are kind of even, sure, throw him in there, see what happens, right? Like, find me that week where I'm like pulling away in home runs or getting destroyed in home runs for that matter. Mm-hmm. And it, and stolen bases are still close and I can put him in for the second half of the week instead of Solaire. Done. No, I absolutely love that. And uh, your last pick was catcher. Was your entire plan the entire time just punt catcher? No, not really. Uh, my, I had a list of catchers I was open to drafting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, any of these guys I'd be happy with. And a handful of them never got picked. <laughs> and so Who I just kept guys? waiting for it to be like, I literally was just like the, the guys I was actually most interested in 
knowing not most interested in is in like obviously Adley Rutschman's the first catcher I would take. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but no, curious about like but the oh, guys man, I was most interested in based yeah. on what I expected to be there late were Alvarez and Bo Naylor, oh, and. Yeah. I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for one of the two of them to go so I could take the other one. And if they had both gone, it was like, so yeah, I mean, I, like I was interested in, in Alvarez and, and Naylor, but I also like, if they were both gone, I could have taken Gabriel Moreno. I could yeah. have taken like, there, there are a handful of guys out there. And as you mentioned, like Murphy went in the 23rd round as well. Had he been there, I could have taken him. I would have been very happy to have him as my starting catcher. And it, it just feels like there's sort of depth at catcher that there hasn't been in a while. And so, you know, yeah, 19th, wild. 20th round, Ohapi, who I really like, Garver, who I like, Cal Raleigh, who at least is going to provide you with good power. Like those guys are going off the board. And all of a sudden, I'm like, there are still like four catchers I would take between Murphy and Alvarez and Naylor and Moreno, not to mention Haim and MJ Melendez, who didn't get taken. And oh, yeah, right. Melendez, too. Yeah. Um, like there's all these guys. And I was like, so that that was the point at which I was like, I'm not taking a catcher. I'm just going to wait because <laughs> there are just there were too many good catchers left, and unless right. teams started taking a second catcher, which they weren't going to do, I was just like, forget it. I'll just wait and I'll take whoever's left. And I I think now looking at this, if I were drafting a Yahoo league like this again, I would not draft a catcher. Yeah. I would just wait. Yeah, absolutely, and I'll also be. I'm really happy because I'm going to be in twelve teamers uh, for the like industry leagues that have two catchers i'm like oh thank god i can get like two of them and are okay <laughs> instead of having <laughs> to overpay for two really good catchers so i don't have to think about the entire year um but there you go that is all 23 rounds of chad young's uh mock draft i'm going to give you silver approval by the way for that francisco alvarez just because of noting like yeah i'm not going to play this game with you guys um no, that's pretty <laughs> awesome because i took jt alvarez was so good at times he looked yeah. so good i didn't i had no real perception of it so i'm like i don't know jt miro muto 10th round let's just not deal with this and now I regret doing that. Um, so, scale one to twenty-three. This is why I ask everybody: uh, How would you rate your team? Scale one to twenty-three, huh? Yeah, twenty-three rounds. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like a fifteen. Fifteen. Why fifteen? You know, I I tried to do something here in terms of leaning heavily, more heavily on pitchers than I normally would, and. Partially as a result of that, I also leaned more heavily on middle infield because I was like, if I'm not taking a lot of bats, I need to make sure my middle infield bats are good because they're going to get ugly. And then I ended up sort of regretting going that early on middle infielders. And I think I've convinced myself that I don't like drafting pitchers that early. Like I, I'd rather go back to the my normal approach of like waiting a little while on pitchers. Um and it could have been as simple as like not taking Strider and having Gallon and Perez be my one and two where I took them. And I might have been happier with that. Sure. But I don't know. There's some things like that that I just wish I had done a little differently. Um, but I don't you know. Maybe 15. Maybe it's more like 16, 17. I don't know. But like I, I like the players I took. I think I've got a, a fairly balanced roster. I've got the ability to mix and match different categories as needed, um, which I which I like to be able to do in a head to head league. Like I love I've talked about it before, but like that combination of Solaire and Ruiz, if it turns out I've got a ton of power and I don't need Solaire's power and I can just slot Ruiz in, great. If I'm in a week where I'm going to get completely destroyed in stolen bases, fine. If it turns out that Otani and Bichette are both going to steal 40 this year, then I don't have to worry about Ruiz. Like I just, right. I have the flexibility because how I drafted late to sort of pivot based on how things are going either week to week or how they go early in the season. And that flexibility is uh, always what I'm looking for in a draft. 
Yeah, I, I understand that completely. Um, and looking at other picks made by others uh, in the side of this draft, which are ones that we were really jealous of? Um, I would have really liked to get Trey Turner. I, I, I was happy with Otani over Turner, but I would have liked if Turner had been there, I think I would have ditched the pitching altogether and gone Otani Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the start of this season wasn't good, but he's so I good. think he's yeah, he's past it. He's so good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Um. So that stands out for me. Um, I really wanted Michael Harris to fall one more pick so I could take him. So I guess <laughs> I should I should call out that one. Um. Grayson Rodriguez. Well, you took Grayson Rodriguez. I sure did. He's my SP eleven. Uh, I, no, I ended no, up getting Yuri Perez at the end of that round, and I was very happy with that. But like, I think Grayson Rodriguez. I I really like the direction he's headed, and so yeah. and that's exactly right. Um, the way, good way of putting it, because it's really good four seamers, slider and curveball getting better, changeup is getting better. Yeah, yeah, good winning ball. Um, there, there were a couple others like later in the draft. Uh, as I mentioned, like Nolan Gorman and Andres Jimenez, I'd be very happy with either of those guys as my starting second baseman. And so I think those were both pretty nice picks. Nice. Um, could have had four guardians, you know, I actually could have had five if you went with Bo too. That's true. And I almost did that. That was, that was the hardest choice for me was I was like, <laughs> I wanted one of those two and they're both there with literally the last pick in the draft. Yeah. And so, um, and I do think, I think Naylor is going to be a, a, a special offensive player, but uh, Alvarez is, yeah, more is, likely to be Bo there. Naylor, of course, you're referring to there. Um, yes. But uh, but Chad, I can't thank you enough for uh, for coming on this podcast, telling us yeah. all about your your thoughts and your strategies here. And uh, it's so wonderful having this early ADP for us to really build off of and get a good grasp of what's coming ahead. Because everybody in this draft, it's what's so cool about it is everyone has to talk about it. Everyone has to defend their yeah. picks. Everyone has to go on their own podcast and talk about it now. Which means that these picks are not just throwing them out. Ah, whatever, what the heck? Like, no, people. There's these are experts, thought. and they they know what they're doing. And now we have a really good um, ADP between these two different drafts um, to uh, to prepare us for the next four or five months. So, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this. And Chad, remind everybody uh, what you're doing. Yeah. So, first of all, thanks for inviting me to be part of this. This is great. Um, but yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter at Chad Young. And mostly what I'm doing there is sharing out my my work from Fangraphs, where I'm writing about Otto New, and my work on the Keeper Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network, where we're talking Otto New, but also Keeper Leagues in general. Um, I know like for a lot of the podcasts, they're like, oh, we're going to the offseason. We're going to have to figure out stuff to talk about. And it's a little bit different. It's like, this, is, this isn't the offseason for us. This yeah, is- no. This is where it all where all the magic happens. So we, we've got some fun stuff coming up over the next few months as we talk about keepers and offseason trades and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's, awesome. that's really what to look forward to. <laughs> that's fantastic. I uh, but all right, guys. I uh, thanks so much for tuning in here. Of course, we have more to come in the near future. Um, but on the behalf of Chad Young, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>